Welcome, welcome. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Here we are again with Whitley Pin Talks Energy Executive Profile Series. Big number eight, uh, and, and we're excited about this one. We have the man, the myth, the legend. He goes by one name, Polly, the CFO for Fortuna Resources. Polly, uh, please introduce yourself. Give us a little more background on yourself and uh, Fortuna Resources. Sure, yeah. Uh, Polly, full name, Polidros. Actually means uh, many gifts in Greek. Um, born in Greece, grew up here in Houston. Um, I'm a co-founder of Fortuna Resources. We're a private equity-backed EMP company focused on the Permian Basin. We're actually on uh, company two and three right now simultaneously. Uh, Fortuna One, we had a big entry and exit um, in the Delaware Basin in 2016. Uh, Fortuna Two and Three are largely focused on non-op opportunities in the Delaware Basin. We've seen a lot of activities and opportunities there. We're backed by North Hudson Resource Partners, and we're excited about the premises, even though it's kind of a, a down market right now. Yeah, so you know, I will say you have to be the first. What I thought was trilingual, but you, you recently told me you, you might be quadlingual. I mean, tell yeah, us. Yeah, I guess uh, yes and no. Um, definitely, uh, obviously, English and Greek. Um, everyday Greek is uh, really good. Um, just because I grew up in Greece, I can't speak politics or you know business there, but everyday is fine. Uh, I do speak some Russian. I was actually much better um, in my early twenties. I you know took four years in high school. Um, my high school is probably one of the only schools in Texas that actually offered Russian, and um, because there's overlap with Greek and Russian, uh, half the Russian alphabet is probably Greek. Uh, similar grammar structures, I thought it was interesting and something different to do. So um, I took a semester at, um, at Texas as well, and um, actually it was really good. And um, I've been to Russia and Ukraine in the last couple of years, and um, I survived based on my Russian. You know, it got, came back to me over time when I was longer was there. But um, and then also. Um, this being in Texas and um, Greek family, we actually had Tex-Mex restaurants growing up, owned and operated four of them at one point. You pick up Spanish and um, I worked in those and uh, I say I have survival Spanish. So you drop me in a Spanish speaking country, I'm going to survive. I know food, I know numbers, I know directions. My government might be terrible, but they know what I'm trying to do and where I'm trying to go. Nice. Well, very multifaceted. Uh, and one of the uh, the first, uh, also the first, uh, you know, I'd say Greek that we've had uh, on the series, so we're excited. Uh, maybe we'll have to reference Big Fat Greek Wedding. We'll see. Uh, so tell us, Polly, where did it begin? You know, where'd you grow up? Where were you born? What's uh, the beginning of, of your journey? Yeah, so um, you know, I was born in Greece, even though my parents actually met in New York City. Um, my mother didn't have a lot of support and family support in New York City, so she went to Greece to have me there, and I was actually a late-born baby, so... My father actually returned to New York, and he didn't meet me until I was about three months old, because um, I was supposed to be born in October, I came in November. Long story short, uh, my father didn't want me to grow up to be a, a punk kid in New York City. <laughs> so I ended up being, a, I guess, a punk, punk kid in uh, Houston, Texas. So the um, way that worked is uh, his best friend worked for Amico at the time, got him an interview, and um, he got the job. My father wasn't a technical um, person or a finance person. And I know a really energy experience, but he was one of the first few people that was working on the uh, ACH and wires at the time and had the expertise. And Amoco at the time was trying to really improve and um, get into that processes and efficiencies. So he moved to Houston, and that's how we ended up in Houston. Um, my mother ended up in New York because her oldest brother owned diners, and she was supposed to come to New York to be uh, to go be the first person in a greater family to attend university. And long story short. Through some family issues, she ended up working at diners, not especially my father, who was a, a customer. So she only knew about um, restaurants when she came to Houston. So she kind of um, looked at the landscape here and realized um, 
there's a lot of Tex-Mex restaurants here. Let me learn about that. Worked at a few. And then say, you know, I can do this. And so her entrepreneurial spirit and will led her to open um, the first restaurant in kind of late 85. We expanded to eventually four over the next several years. And she owned and operated um, restaurants for about 25 years. And so what, were the, what was the name of those restaurants? Yeah, so my mother's uh, name is Amalia. So it, goes, it went by the name of Amalia's Mexican Restaurant. Okay, where, so where were those locations back in the day? You remember? Largely in Cyprus area, okay. but there was one location on Voss and Westheimer and one in Sugarland. Well, um, and we kind of moved some stuff around over time. Okay, and so when she sold it, where was the last stand? The last location was in Spring area, Grant and Luetta. We sold the last one in late 2019. Actually, I was kind of involved in kind of the negotiations there. Sold that one late in 2019. Actually moved back to Greece in early 2010 with the idea to maybe open a restaurant there. Unfortunately, Greek financial crisis started happening then, and so she had to put that on hold, but she did end up opening one in 20, late 2014. Kind of eclectic, part Tex-Mex, part Greek, part American. We catered tours there, so it's, been, um, it's going every year since then. So. Okay, okay. So part-time uh, restaurant connoisseur or an entrepreneur yourself, huh? Yeah, I mean, I grew up um, in that business. My first job was really hosting at eight years old. I remember a young couple came in one time, and I was kind of a shy kid at the time. So my cousin that was helping out the business said, hey, I'll give you a dollar if you, <laughs> if you see these next people that come in. And at eight years old, a dollar was like infinity. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I don't care. Couple comes in. I said, yes, uh, party for two? Yes. Would you like a booth for a table? Booth, follow me, please. And I remember the lady following me said, I can't believe in being sat by an eight-year-old. And so um, that kind of started me off on the journey. I was really good at math at an early age, and so I was um, cashiering a lot. You know, at that time, credit cards weren't as uh, used as they are now, so a lot of cash transactions. And uh, eventually, busboy, waiter, kind of opening, closing the restaurants, kind of like an assistant manager, manager. Even had to cook tortillas at one point where it was really busy. One thing I really do is like really cook fajitas. Uh, let the experts handle that. <laughs> and so, you know, growing up, you were in Houston, but you spent a lot of time in, going back to Greece. So, you know, ha tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, my mother's one of seven siblings, and pretty much all of them were in Greece, particularly in uh, the island of Crete where I was born and um, where most of my family is. So pretty much from when school ended and sometimes to, to after school started, because my mother didn't know when school would start, <laughs> we would be in Greece. And so it's kind of rotate between families. Most of them were entrepreneurial. They had their own businesses there. And it's kind of a grow up in the, on the seaside and also in the mountains where we split time where my grandmother is. And uh, like I said, sometimes I come back and I realize school started and like, all right, my mom said, go to school tomorrow then. So, <laughs> so, so you finish out school here in Houston. You're, uh, you know, graduate. What, you go on to UT. What, what made you go to UT? Why, why did you make that decision? You know, candidly, um, you know, my parents didn't go to any type of college. I know kind of reference point how hard it was to get in certain schools. I only applied to like three or four schools. And, you know, I was a really good student. You know, extra activities, I would play basketball. So I thought, well, who wouldn't want to accept me, right? A little bit naive. <laughs> I applied to Texas, and I thought that was a good option because it was not far away from home, but close enough. But then I also, like, was dreaming big. I was like, oh, Harvard, Stanford, and I can't remember what other university I applied to. And, um, and I can't really, I didn't really focus on my essays, so I didn't do a good job on that. And um, got the big rejects from Harvard and Stanford. And um, I thought, well, Texas, here I come. And uh, I actually don't regret it. It was a great opportunity and uh, experience there. Yeah. So um, did you ever consider going to school overseas? 
No, because uh, my my you know high school and formal education was all here in the U.S. Uh, you all, knew you want to be here long term. Long term here, but you know, um, candidly, uh, retirement. I love the split time between Greece and the U.S. at some point. Uh, but um, you know, Greece and spent a lot of time in Greece uh, in the summers was very influ influential to me. Um, but the opportunity sets is uh, you, you speak to people in Greece, they want to come to the U.S. because work is better. Um, they will say the lifestyle is not better, but the work's better. So it's the trade-off. Yeah, it makes mm -hmm. sense. So you go to UT, you're a kid from Houston, spent a lot of time in Greece. Was there any culture shock there? You just kind of, did you enjoy it? Well, what was it like in, in Austin? Yeah, you know, I um, I love the, it exceeded all of my expectations there. Um, you know, it's funny, in my freshman year, I wanted to look up a Greek club, and I actually had a kind of reverse culture shock. Um, um, the Greeks that I knew were Greek Americans. And so, and besides my family, but you know, that's family. And um, they were, weren't as close or as friendly as I expected initially. So I only, you know, attend a couple of meetings and I felt like this wasn't for me. And so um, just kind of continue my path and just hang out with my friends, you know, being, you know, growing up in Houston, you got a lot of friends that actually go to Texas too. So I had that core group of friends and expanded from there, so. So then you graduate UT. Um, did you know you wanted to go the NG route when you were graduating or did that just happen because of the job opportunity? Uh, Yes and no. I would say I had two internships with Marathon Oil. Um, that was kind of my first introduction to um, the energy patch. Um, quick uh, interesting fact, I was the first, and I understand still the only intern to ever receive the ACE Award at Marathon, which was, they called it the Achievement of Company Excellence Award for a project I really worked on. And um, basically, long story short, um, figured out how much uh, non-op partners should have been charged for kind of overhead. Okay, overhead rate. Uh, overhead rates, but also really like, you know, the geologists were working on projects and they can uh, allocate their time yeah. to certain uh, projects. And you know, they want nickel and dime, so they kind of, you know, cut my number down. But uh, <laughs> I think, I remember it was a million dollars that we recouped from third parties that first year. Oh, and, nice. And, uh, they they kind of used that as a basis going forward. So um, when I brought that home to my mom, which came with a nice, I think, $1,000 cash bonus, which is amazing, you know, especially a college kid. Um, my mom said, this is my award, not your award, because you're very <laughs> proud of that. So, um, so that was my first introduction. Um, I, unfortunately, at Marathon, they, um, I was working in the commercialization and development group, and the full-time offer was actually for the accounting group. And nothing against accounting, uh, I just knew that <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't the right fit for me. Uh, I understand accounting, I could do it, but um, you know, for my personality, I needed something a little more variable. That know. sounds like a it's not me, it's not you, it's me conversation, so we'll stop that. But Okay, so you graduate and uh, you know you end up, your first full-time gig was in Dallas at an investment bank. Yeah, a smaller group, uh, it was called Southwest Securities. Um, they had since been merged long ago, but um, I was a generalist with a healthcare and a little bit of energy focus. I was, I was actually the only analyst there because this, the other analysts were actually laid off about six weeks after I joined. So... I had some actually lonely nights at night, uh, <laughs> me and the janitors and my takeout orders, whoever delivered it. Um, about a year later, I was actually recruited by a couple of older high school friends that were Lehman Brothers here in Houston, Energy Group. They had a lot of turnover and needed some, help, needed some bodies. And I was like, well, makes sense. Go back to Houston. I'll be close to home. And um, actually, frankly, a bigger opportunity, a bigger bank. And um, um, actually, I had camaraderie out late at night. And that's what it was. I got a lot of experience, a lot of late nights. We got kicked a lot, but we learned a lot. And then, so you're there in Houston with Lehman for two years, and, and you get the call up to the big leagues in New York. Tell uh, yeah. how, how that happened. Yeah, so, you know, Frank Kennedy, uh, after three years of investment banking, I was kind of burned out. But when I got the promotion to an associate, I said, you don't have to stay in Houston, you can go anywhere in the world. 
you know, as a kid, I was always fascinated by the Big Apple. Um, you know, you see Wall Street, people in suit and ties, and the whole idea. So I said, you know, that was appealing enough for me to uh, to give banking another couple of years or so. And so I moved up to New York. Um, I actually worked less in New York than in Houston because the energy group in New York was less top-heavy and uh, more analysts and associates to kind of do the work. I suppose Houston was a lot more senior people. Makes sense. Houston's kind of the energy center of the world and not, not as many junior people. So it was kind of a trade-off. Um, I got to enjoy the city. I didn't wouldn't say I was worth a lot. I still worked hard, but it wasn't as um, killer hours as it was in Houston. That is shocking to me, but the, I'm sure that was a great for you to be young and in the city and, and making some, some good money and having fun with it. Um, so, you know, you live in a short period between Dallas, Houston, and New York. Now, what is your view of those three cities and, and what are the, the yeah. positives of some of them and the negatives? Sure. I remember Dallas. I was only there for a year, but I had some good friends there. Um, between Dallas and Houston, I remember the experience was – and one of my good friends in Dallas said this, Dallas is full with $30,000 millionaires. <laughs> in other words, you know, people had, you know, this, you know, you know, average base salary, but they live like well beyond their means. And it was a lot more uppity, a lot more upscale than, than uh, Houston. I think some people say pretentious. I don't yeah, agree. That, that's but... another word maybe. But uh, when I came to Houston, when I was still living in Dallas, I came to visit. I remember in Dallas, I could, uh, what's interesting though is um, on the other side of it was I was wearing like, these black shoes were kind of like sneakers, but not like like nice sneakers. In Dallas, I could get it anywhere I wanted to any club. It was fine. When I came to Houston, I was actually rejected because of those shoes. I was like, <laughs> I'm going anywhere I want in Dallas with these shoes. And um, I'm getting rejected here in Houston. So it's kind of a variable on some things. So. Um, but New York, it's uncomparable. Um, what I really love about the city is um, is because what I couldn't get here in Houston and, or Dallas is you could walk places. You could just get lost just walking and walking. Spend all day walking and exploring, and you just can't do that in Houston, particularly if it's summertime. So, yeah. In terms of though, you know, I mean, you got your very, uh, you know, you got proud Greek heritage and a lot of different cultures in Houston, which I love. I think is one of the main advantages of Houston over Dallas. Uh, but New York, that has some of that too. So, but it, you know, you've been in New York and Houston, and it's almost pretty comparable. I mean, there's a lot of different cultures in both, right? Yeah. Uh, the one difference is uh, New York has Astoria, which is uh, historically a big ethnic center for Greek people there. Um, so if you want to have a Greek weekend, go to Greek bars, hear Greek music, which, frankly, I wasn't always into that, but every once in a while was a good change-up. You'd go there. We have a lot of options. Um, now, you know, you read the statistics, actually, Houston's actually more diverse than New York in terms of ethnicities. It's just more spread out so you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Houston actually from what I read is they accept a lot of refugees, immigrants. It's, just, it's such a big city uh, geographically. You just don't get that feel, especially if you're in certain pockets. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, are, are you at Lehman till the end? Almost to the end. Um, I left May 1st, 2008. Lehman went bankrupt in September of 2008. An interesting story there is, um, you know, I told my boss at the time, well before that, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to leave uh, banking, not Lehman, but just banking in general. He was like, you know, wanted to take some time off. Everyone knew it was going to be a down year for Lehman and banking in general, but no one had an idea that Lehman was going to go bankruptcy four months later. Um, he said, that's fine. I'm actually really happy to hear that. I'll be really pissed if you're going to competitor, but great, I'll support you. An hour later, he calls me back in his office and he's like, you know what, Paulie? I'm glad you brought this up to me because um, uh, in about two or three weeks, Lehman's going to have some layoffs. You weren't going to be part of that. But I can talk to my boss and we can arrange that you're part of the layoff. So this way that you can save someone else's job, you can get some severance, and you can keep some stock potentially. Win-win. It was win-win. So he just told me, you can't tell anything to HR. 
I said, that's fine with me. So two or three weeks pass. I get a call from his boss to come meet me on X floor in room number whatever. He gives me a whole spiel. He says, good luck in Greece at the end. Because my idea was kind of let's spend some time in traveling Greece afterwards. And um, went to HR and they basically told me the whole spiel about my severance, any questions. And I just pretend to be like shocked and dumbfounded. It's like, no, um, I'll just be on my way. And um, <laughs> that was um, that was the end. That's a good way a good way out. You got some uh, pocket money for your travels. And so then after that, what do you do? So I spent that summer just traveling around Europe. Uh, I went to the a Euro Cup there in, um, in Austria. I watched the Greek national team play there. Eventually, I went up to Greece to figure out my military duty because I'm a dual citizen. But long story short, I ended up getting an exemption um, because uh, paperwork wasn't right. My, um, my father's not Greek. My mother's 100% Greek. I was born in Greece. But there's no J in the Greek alphabet, so Trejos doesn't really translate to the alphabet there. So my documents were spelled different ways for my last name. And the military office said, this needs to be fixed. So I tried to fix it for about six months. Didn't have success, hired a lawyer. It took her a year and a half. So I like to joke that I was the first person in Greek history to not avoid the military and actually say, here I am, take me. And they said no. So what is the military commitment? If you... So it depends. It's changed over time. But growing up, uh, my, all my cousins had to do two years. If you have multiple siblings, they'll give you a break. You might have to do a year. They initially told me since I was born in Greece, but I didn't grow up there, it'll be six to nine months. Okay. And so I thought that's more than reasonable. I'm here to do it. I'm, you know, at the time I was single, no wife, no girlfriend, no dog, no house, no commitment. So I was like, this is the right time to do it. So that's basically to be able to keep your dual citizenship, you had to do the six yes. to nine months. So they gave me an exemption, but the exemption says I can't live in Greece for more than six months any calendar year. And if I do, they have the right, but not the obligation to throw me into the military until okay. I'm the age of 45. Okay. So once you're 45, you can go over I'm there. I'm free and clear. Free and clear. Yeah. Okay. Exactly right. Uh, probably, yeah, like you said, the first person to get that exemption. <laughs> um, so if you live in Greece, uh, change your last name to something with a J is, is uh, how, well, how to get around it? You know, basically, in, in, in Greek, is a, my name, the J looks like the letter Z. So that's why it kind of looks like in Greek. But there's different ways to kind of make that sound. So that's why the paperwork had issues. Yeah. And so, you know, you're in Greece. You thought, you, I mean, you're ready to sign up for this nine-month commitment. All of a sudden, you get the, you know, you're not going to have to do it. So then, you know, what's your next step? How, how are you going to spend yeah, your time? Yeah, to kind of us, you know, while I was trying to figure out a military issue, I actually applied to a organization called TechnoServe. And I first learned about it as an analyst at Lehman Brothers because not everyone wants, continues in the bank, and the bank's are cognizant of that. So they, they actually sent out uh, external opportunities. And one of them was TechnoServe, but this one they sent out was for, like, Latin America. Well, I liked the idea. It wasn't the right time. Also, I'm not fluent in Spanish. You know I can survive in it. And so I looked up their website. They had a specific or, uh, project that was in Ethiopia. And it was actually backed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The thesis was this, a lot of coffee in Ethiopia, not a lot of capital. The farmers there don't have a lot of collateral either. Um, they tend to wash their coffee by hand. So you can imagine, one, they do a great job. The next day, maybe not as good as job. And so the consistency wasn't there. So they're not getting the premium for the coffee. The idea was if you can get them to buy coffee washing machines, they can wash the coffee consistently and get a premium. And the organization was going to want to buyers, Pete's Coffee, Starbucks, you name it. So my role there, I was the first volunteer consultant in that new office. I basically had to learn the coffee business. I did coffee tastings, wasn't very good at it, but more importantly, um, I had to Are learn. Are you a coffee lover? Do you I do like coffee, but more socially. I don't have to okay. drink it anymore. Yeah. It's more of a social event for me. In Greece, they, they drink coffee all day, all any types of coffee. Um, but yeah, I learned about the coffee business, built coffee operating models. 
learned of local banks, negotiated with them with the team, and uh, we ended up raising, uh, I think, two or three million dollars to buy several coffee washing machines for about 20 coffee unions. And um, what was really impactful was over that five month period that I live in Ethiopia, it was like, I actually got to meet some of these coffee farmers. And at first, you know, they, they don't really believe you. You know, like, oh yeah, it's another NGO trying to do this or that. But when you actually show the results and like you're actually working on it, you can see kind of like the kind of the smiles and kind of like more kind of like hope for a better future. Because Ethiopia was still had remnants of a communist days where no one still today can own land. There's actually technically lease. If you buy, you build a house in Ethiopia, you just basically purchase like a hundred year lease. And so there's no collateral put up for that. So um, that was a project. And uh, like I said, it was a great backing by Bill, the Bill Gates Foundation and um, was very, very grateful to be a part of that. They actually hinted at a permanent opportunity there. Great experience there, but living permanently in Ethiopia wasn't for me. So, yeah, I mean, what what city in Ethiopia? I was in Addis Ababa, the capital. Okay. It's a little bit more diverse than you expect because the head of the African Union is based in Addis Ababa. Okay. The head of the United Nations branch in, of Africa is in Addis Ababa. So you can actually meet a, quite a bit uh, diverse group of people. And coincidentally, I was given a stipend of $20 a day, which went a long way in Ethiopia. But also, um, they provided me free housing and, and lodging. And um, the hotel that I was stayed at essentially was right next to the only Greek school in the uh, in the whole area. A uh, long time ago, apparently, a lot of Greek traders found their way themselves to uh, Ethiopia. They had a similar religion, religion, and just kind of um, set up camp there. So okay. uh, I made some quick friends pretty quickly there. So okay. And so, I mean, what do you do for fun in, in uh, when you're there? Yeah, well, you know, I, the first kind of couple weekends was um, a little lonely, I guess you say. Um, and I don't get lonely myself, but not hadn't made the friends yet. But um, believe it or not, because of the diversity there in terms of expats, um, there's a lot of interesting bars, a lot of reggae bars. Okay. Um, you know, the Rastafarians, actually, the origin is from Ethiopia. Okay. Um, the, you know, the, it goes back to Haile Selassie and um, his trip to Jamaica where he arrived Rain started happening after a drought of years, apparently, and um, they kind of the Jamaicans viewed him as kind of like a second coming of sorts. And so, um, and he he never claimed to be kind of the second coming, Khalid Selassie, but he basically said um, it was kind of flattered. And my understanding is he basically gave him like a, a land in Ethiopia, and that's how the like, Rastafarians, uh, a lot of reggae and stuff like that, kind of originated. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So you're doing that. Um, and and then you say, man, I gotta I gotta get home. I gotta get back yeah. to the U.S. So I did a little bit more traveling, but I was always really good about listening to my mind and body. You know, my mind and body told me I needed to stop banking. My mind and body told me enough traveling. You need to get back to reality. Um, so, but I always did a good job of saving money. Um, just make sure I give myself flexibility. So came back to Houston just before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, and I had my sister pick me up. And what tell year my parents. is that? This was a. Uh, Late 2019. Okay. No, 2009, right? Oh, yeah, sorry. It's 2009. Yes, that's right. Um, and, um, you know, spent the holidays with my family and then uh, went looking for a job. And I was fortunate to land an opportunity with uh, Bakai Partners, which is a couple blocks from where we are now, actually, uh, Midstream MLP. And was there for about a year. And then I was recruited by Mr. Sanchez at Sanchez Oil and Gas. At the time, was still a, a private EMP company. They were trying to figure out what to do with their EMP assets. And I was hired to figure out strategic alternatives. Six months later, we went public with 10 wells producing 600 barrels a day. And I was probably one of 30 or so people. Fast forward four years, we had grown to 55,000 barrels of production a day. I was probably one of 300 people. You were public at that time? We're definitely public. Uh, culture changed. 
I realized that um, when I was part of the original group, I was part of strategy, a little bit of everything. I was, you know, small companies, you were intimate. You got to do a little bit of everything. I noticed I started doing a lot more IR and budgeting work, which was fine, but it was not really what um, was really interested in what really drove me. I really like kind of creating and building as opposed to kind of maintaining. And so, That's that uh, entrepreneurial spirit that probably uh, that you got from your parents and, and relatives. Exactly right. Just kind of growing up and hearing about their businesses and their struggles, the pluses and minus. But like I said, uh, doing the same thing every day is maybe not for me, but kind of building and growing things and maybe hand it off later, that's fine with me. Um, but I realized in early 2015, again, my mind and body told me I need a change, but it was kind of an interesting time. You got this beginning of the downturn in oil and gas. A lot of people thought I was crazy for resigning from um, Sanchez. Like, what are you gonna do next? It's gonna be hard to find a job in the oil industry. You're, it's a downturn, what are you gonna do? Well, I actually went to Greece. Uh, my parents were back there for about five years, finally decided to open their restaurant there. I was actually their social media guru, you know, not great at social media. Um, no Yelp in Greece, but there's TripAdvisor, so I got that kind of up and running for them. Uh, helped kind of get the, snow, the snowball rolling in terms of reviews. And believe it or not, we've been on the top five consistently the last five years in uh, the fifth largest city in Greece. So it's been a great draw and a great business for them. So after a couple months there, came back to Houston, did some consulting. You know, before I left Sanchez, I told my friend Sebastian that I'm looking to do kind of a startup. If you know any like-minded people that want to have the same idea or team up, let me know. Came back, uh, Sebastian told me, hey, my friend Aaron, my partner Aaron Davis at Fortuna, at the time he was at Oxy, he said, I'm thinking about quitting Oxy, thinking of doing a startup. Uh, he's a petroleum engineer. He identified a VP of land, a VP of operations, didn't have anyone on the finance side. And so we uh, got together for happy hour. I like to say that we speed dated for about six weeks <laughs> and decided to uh, give it a go and start pitching uh, private equity companies from there. And that's how Fortuna has really started. Um, we started pitching in October 2015. Wasn't a great timing because oil was going from 45 to $26 in January of 2016. Plus you had the holidays, so our momentum was kind of choppy. But we were able to uh, get some traction with Oxif. Um, a lot of the private equity shops would tell us, we got too many primary teams. Bring us an asset, then we can talk. You're too optimistic on your projections on the Delaware. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of reasons not to to nicely do a deal now, but maybe keep in touch. But Oxif at the time really liked our organic grassroots leasing strategy in Pecos County. They actually told us in good faith, start leasing, and if we get there, uh, we'll sign a partnership agreement and then we'll fund right away. And we actually beat their timeline expectations. Um, I had about $5 million of outstanding obligations to write checks on. And um, we signed a partnership agreement, finally opened our first bank accounts. And with the first temporary checks they give you, because they don't give you real checks right away, I wrote $5 million of checks to uh, mineral owners. In the first few days? For, uh, pretty much the second day. And um, we had our VP of land, Kathleen, write cover letters explain, hey, we're just getting started. These are temporary checks. They will cash, we promise. <laughs> so off off running, which is great, right? Because that's the worst fear yeah. a private equity group yeah. has. Is, uh, I, they're going to Exactly, and we, we still have an office there because you can't. We weren't going to sign a lease for an office until we had a partnership agreement signed. So we signed the lease immediately after, but we had about two weeks of uh, building out. So we're also working from home, coffee shops, any conference room we can uh, borrow, whatever it is. You know, just kind of this, um, like I said, entrepreneurial spirit trying to get started.
And so, obviously, you know, we'll get to the success you've had since then. Uh, do you ever miss those days? Those days where you're kind of on the fringe of making it work and, and scrapping everything together? Yeah, and... I do miss it, and particularly in retrospect, because, you know, it's, um, you know I, I've been comfortable with the unknown, and that's uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity sets in my life have been that way, just uh, taking a leap and being confident that I can, I'll figure it out. It was a little simpler at times because, you know, like, hey, we have no assets. Let's just go figure it out. Even though it's hard, but it's a little simpler. Hey, let's just go figure it out. And um, I miss it. You know, we're a small group. Uh, we were four at the time. We've since grown to 11, but it's it's still, you know, we're not that big, so it's still pretty well from spirits. And so why the name Fortuna? Yeah, we were trying to figure out names. Um, and Aaron actually wanted to find something that was kind of good luck, fortune. He started looking up names, and, you know, in Latin, apparently Fortuna is the right word. So um, we went with that, and it was available, actually, as well. Yeah, so, that's yeah, what everyone that's said. That's the key. Well, everything yeah. was taken. Exactly right. So Fortuna Resources, and that's how we got started off. So, right. yeah. And so, you know, when you th- you guys you get put together the first deal and uh, you put together this position, Talk us through how quickly kind of the exit there happened and, and, and how that evolved and what that felt like. Sure. We put together two operating positions in the Delaware Basin. One, our first position was put together really quickly, largely organically grassroots in Pecos County. We had about just over 3,000 acres there. In August of 2016, we closed on acquisition, actually through EnergyNet. I know you had Chris on your show yep. earlier. Um, we picked up an acquisition from uh, BHP. It was about, call it 3,500 acres. Actually, 4,500 acres. We since added 600 acres, grew production from 100 beaver, beaver per day to about 400 beaver per day. And after we, essentially at the same time we were closing on the acquisition, PDC announced an acquisition of the acreage around us. And you know, it's a public company, so they had a public announced evaluation. And there was a, quite a bit of arbitrage between what we paid and to what, what they paid. It was strategic for them, Valuation compelling for us, so it made sense to eventually talk. And so six weeks later, while we're still kind of developing our plans to develop the assets, we began began negotiations with PDC about them taking out our acreage position. Um, Fast forward four months, uh, PDC bought us out. They basically said, all your plans, we'll uh, do them ourselves. Thank you very much. We said thank you for the check and went on from there. Uh, We... We, uh, the remaining asset, we sold the XTO not long after and um, started Fortuna 2 um, in early 2017. So tell us about where you, where were you at when you were closing that, that deal sure. and kind of having that life moment? Absolutely. So uh, we actually closed December 30th, 2016. I was actually on a baby moon with my wife in Milan, Italy. We were kind of traveling up and down Italy. We actually ended up in Switzerland for a few days as well. But um, it actually worked in our favor. I didn't cancel the baby moon because of the time difference. So when people were sleeping here, we were kind of touring around Italy and Switzerland. Um, but when we actually closed the deal, we were actually in Milan. And, you know, my wife was going to sleep early because she was pregnant and was getting tired all the time. And so right after dinner time, she'd go to sleep and I'll just start working. And so I remember wires being sent out and confirming all the numbers probably like 1 a.m. in the morning or so. And it was a little bit surreal because, you know, we did, I just started the company less than uh, eight months ago. We had picked up our assets, call it four months ago. We were developing plans to, for the assets, running around that track, and then shortly after we started negotiating selling it. And so looking back, you really don't appreciate the time because it was surreal. It was like, you know, you saw all these wires go out, you see the money hits the account, and for me it was like one or two a.m. I was like, all right, I'm gonna sleep now. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of vacation and then um You can go pop bottles by no, yourself. No, and then um and then you when you get back, you started negotiating Fortuna 2 documents. So you only have a break to kind of look back and appreciate what happened. 
Now after, you know, call it um, three years or so, you know, two of our original partners either retired or took a sabbatical. And we catch up with them, we realize, you know, how unique and um, blessed and fortunate, but we also put in a lot of work and maybe you could say we made our luck, but how the unique opportunity set that uh, presented ourselves. We're very grateful for the opportunity. And um, that's, I can actually appreciate more now than I did at the time. Did you guys have a big, big closing dinner when you got back or anything? Uh, we had a closing dinner. It wasn't, you know, wasn't a blowout, uh, but, you know, it was just more just um, the four of us getting together yeah. and just kind of celebrating, you know, because that, that was the core of the team. You know, it's the four of us. And so when you look at your crystal ball now and you're kind of thinking about the opportunity set in the space, uh, you know, I mean, what are your thoughts for the PE world? Someone like yourself, you have capital. I mean, how are you going to deploy it in this, in this setting to, to, to make money? Yeah, we're trying to be very careful in understanding that our whole period is going to be longer in this environment. You know, Fortuna 1, the thesis was three to five years. It was one year or so. Fortuna 2, when we started, again, we fought three to five years. We sent, we have since come the expectation that it's going to be probably at least probably closer to five years, if not longer. We started Fortuna 3 about four months ago, uh, again, with a non-op-focused strategy in the northern Delaware Basin with near-term development opportunities. Expecting there is going to be a longer hold period. You know, return might not be in the next thing. You know, it might be distributions over time. And, um, you know, with PE shops, I think eventually, you know, they've raised, a lot of them have raised uh, LP funds with the assumption of, you know, higher return opportunities. So they have to stick to that. But if you're raising money, a new fund now, maybe you have to start looking at, you know, lower risk, lower return thresholds, more longer hold periods, more of a yield base. And so um, everyone can do the switch to that now. And who knows, you know, things might change in a couple of years, but that's the kind of mentality I see right now. You, um, with newer funds, you might have to have changed kind of the um, the return model. So we just got, got out of NAPE not too long ago. Uh, what kind of sense or feel did you get from, from NAPE this year compared to others? Well attended this year. Um, definitely no, no liking of uh, participants at parties and happy hours and whatnot. I would say I think people wanted to be optimistic, op optimistic, but it wasn't there. I think people are realizing that it's going to be another hard year, uh, kind of more survival mode. I think maybe certain segments might be more affected than others, but um, everyone's just kind of bunkering down and see what happens. And yeah, no, I agree. I think um, uh, this industry is a little bit of a um, chicken little. The sky is falling, right? Um, and everyone kind of worries a little bit, but. There is, uh, you know, the landman. I think it's going to be tough for them, which is, you hate to see. But I felt, I felt a little bit of desperation when I, when I talked to some no, of those groups. I agree with that. I mean, even in, when we're looking at BD opportunities now, we're looking at, you know, leases. We're not bidding on anything that doesn't have near-term development. That's an AFE or permit on it. If it's just, you know, an undeveloped piece of acreage, we're not bidding on it because, you know, it might, in this environment, it might not be developed anytime soon, and we don't want that at risk and exposure. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, well, so tell, tell us about your equity partners. I think you've had two different ones. Or? Yeah, it's um, technically two different partners. Uh, originally Oxif and now North Hudson, but the team on both entities are the same. Okay. So essentially, um, um, we were backed by initially by Oxif and Fortuna 1 and 2. In uh, September 2018, we've been officially backed by North Hudson. The uh, team that worked at Oxif essentially fundraised in 2018 to buy out the energy fund from Oxif and spin it off their, as their own as North Hudson. So same team on our side, same team on their side, just new name on their door. Oh, good. So it's been a consistent partnership, you guys. Yeah, it's been, really... a, call it four years now, and so we know each other quite well. Good. So uh, moving on to the to the personal side here. So tell us a little about uh, your family. I know you got a beautiful wife and, and, and two sons. Yeah, so um, I have a almost a three-year-old, Leandros. Um, kind of Greek tradition, you name your firstborn son after your 
after the father's father. So my father's Leandros, my son's Leandros. And uh, my second son, Stavros, is named after my wife's father. Uh, he's uh, just over six months now. So young and growing family. Um, we'll see. My wife gives a hard time because she knows I, I, I really want three kids eventually. And um, she kind of holds it against me at this point in time. So <laughs> we'll see what happens from there. Um, so if, if it's always the father's first name, so then don't you get in a cycle where everyone kind of has just really either one name or the other? That's exactly right. And if you, you've seen my big crack wedding, there's a scene where like um, – the husbands being met, being met to the greater family of uh, the wife, uh, the Greek family, and there's like, Nick, 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 Nicky, Nick, 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 <laughs> and the way you differentiate differentiate who's who is uh, by the middle name. So, my middle name is my father's name. So, so if if you're talking about Nick, you don't know which Nick you're talking about. You mentioned his middle name, so Nick George. Oh, I know what you're talking about. His father's George. That's the Nick. <laughs> uh, or Nick Pauly. Oh, his father's Pauly. So, um, you know, if, if both my um, both my kids have, have boys. You know, their names will be Poli or Polidros, but they'll know which one they're talking about because it'll be Poli Leandros or Poli Stavros. And so you kind of give nicknames around that, and that's kind of identify it. So a lot of funny nicknames that come up about that um, with uh, kind of middle or, or first name from there. Does the wife ever get a chance to throw some family names in there? Yeah, you know, you know, depending on what part of Greece is, the girls might go out after the mother's mother or the father's, father's mother first. Uh, that can differentiate in Greece, but... Um, you know, but where I'm from in Crete, usually the um, firstborn son and the firstborn girl are typically named after the father's side. So it's still kind of a paternal, paternalistic uh, society. So Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I like it. Um, so, you know, let's get into the, the fun 20-question round. Uh, you know, we got some uh, definitely more personal questions and, and not necessarily energy-centric. But for the first one, sure, I love to ask this question because, you know, we all do things that, that make us a good living and, and we enjoy, but... You know, if if you could do anything in the world, you know, what's your dream job? You know, what what, what would you do? Believe it or not, a hostel owner in Greece, and that's because I've done a lot of traveling in my life. Uh, I studied abroad in Singapore when I was a student. Got a lot of traveling. As you imagine, on a student's budget, you stay in a lot of hostels. I've seen some really cool, really awesome hostels. I've seen some really dirty and filthy hostels. Um, so my idea, and one of my best friends I was studying in Singapore is uh, when they open a hostel. And so I have some ideas, but it won't be just a regular hostel. It'll be more of a, a boutique hostel, kind of um, catered to a, a nicer crowd, but have that community experience. Because you do a lot of traveling, you might get tired of You might be yourself, you might be tired of just hanging out with your friend, but you want that community and be able to meet up people and do events and activities from there. So you may not be sleeping for 20 bucks a night, maybe more 40 bucks a night. Exactly. It's still cheaper than the hotel. Exactly and right. And, and that community aspect of yeah, it, yeah. you know, that environment. So. Well, what's the name of what's the name of Polly's Hostel? I'm not sure yet, but, um, you know, I have some couple ideas. Um, um, this kind of roots to, to Crete, maybe. Uh, I thought of the, the Minotaur boutique hostel or something like that because the Minotaur is from the labyrinth in Crete. Basically, okay. that's the origin. So something unique like that kind of give uh, origin to um, or credit to, you know, the motherland. So Okay, yeah. nice. It sounds like um, this may be retirement plans. Uh, so where did you, I mean, where do you as a CFO and, and, and the owner of the business, where do you get your internet news? Where do you get your updates? Where are you going to feel like you have a pulse on what's happening in the industry? Yeah, besides networking events, um, you know, my inbox every morning is filled with research reports from like multiple banks. Um, so I go through those. Some I pay attention more than others, depending on you know where their strengths are. Um, you got like the heart energy kind of email blast, and uh, that's where I kind of really focus in the morning, kind of make sure what's going on, what I miss in the news, and 
um, and just other things and networking and opportunities from there. You do uh, any of the Twitter uh, energy fit twit stuff? No, I'm not on Twitter, but uh, I will look at LinkedIn. So I'll just see some of David's stuff from there. Okay. They rims and wood, so yeah. So what um, you, do you look at any of the uh, public filings of people that you, you may have not op interest in, or, or uh, any of their slide? Not decks as much. We look, we look at the slide decks actually, okay. not the public filings, but just kind of see. Um, you know, it's it's great to see like sometimes if they point out a well they have interest in and they, they highlight it because it's doing really well, and that's also a good feeling all the time. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. And so you know, uh, Polly, when you're not working, handling kids or whatever, how do you relax? What's uh, what do you do after a stressful day? About two years ago, I joined a boxing gym here in town and. For a couple of reasons. Uh, I like the, you know, kind of defense, kind of like, you know, you know, learn how to fight, kind of defense aspect. And more importantly, it's on my way home. Literally, it's a three-second detour, so I have no excuse not to go. Which okay. which boxing gym is it? It's called Baby Wolf Boxing. It's basically on Shepherd and I think a Rose. And okay. so literally, I take Shepherd on the way home. And it's one block detour from there, so I have no excuse not to go on the way home. Nice. And so it's a great workout. I mean, I probably I sweat more than any other workout I've done before, and I'm probably burning like six to seven hundred calories minimum each time. And you know, I feel like you know, if I ever get in that bind, I feel like I can actually defend myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the energy industry we need some type of fight night, right? Like yeah. uh, let's put Fortuna up against yeah, whoever I'll, you I'll guys be game, against. You know, to bring my mouthpiece, you know. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll take on uh, you know Weaver or BDO or something <laughs> like that. Let's have fun with it. There you go. I like the idea. Uh, so as a kid, what's uh, biggest sports hero as a kid? I mean, what, what sports were you into? Being, yeah, uh, being so a Greek. Being Greek, you know, honestly. Uh, I mix of uh, early basketball and soccer. On um, basketball, I was really enamored with Jordan at first, but I feel like eventually he was too popular and won too much. And I became I didn't like didn't become like anti Jordan, but I wanted to see someone else win. So believe it or not, I actually became a big New York Knicks fan and a Patrick Ewing fan because they were always so close to beating him. You know, maybe one bucket away, and like I just really related to their heartache where like they just fell short every time, and as um I just wanted to get over the hump, they never did. What about some of the Greek basketball stars? Did you uh, know? Yeah, I mean, I remember like the uh, we had Greece growing up. Uh, we, they won the European Championship. It was a very influential summer for me. Hearing all those names. Um, actually, my favorite player right now is actually Yanis, of course, uh, reigning MVP in the NBA. Um, but and who's he playing for? He plays for the Bucks. And so, actually, believe it or not, I met him on a oh, flight that's right. that's all the way right. from uh, from Greece back to home. We were on the same flight. Um, Got to introduce myself. Uh, we're only speaking Greek, and um, I have a, my younger, my oldest son has a picture of him. And he was very scared when he took the picture, but he has a picture with uh, Yanis on the Kubo. Oh, uh, nice, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Uh, okay, so then you know, next question: If you could be an athlete, musician, or actor, which one would you be, and why? Yeah, I would have to say Lionel Messi. Um, I, you know, besides be, being arguably the greatest football player of all time, if not top three. Um, I really like his personalities. Um, in my opinion, he seems pretty humble, and but he's phenomenal. He's a genius with the ball, and so I kind of relate to him on personality. You know, he is very, from what I can tell, a big family man. I'm, I'm a big family man. He's um, an expert at what he does, and he doesn't let it get over his head. And so I really kind of relate to that kind of um, personality and his uh, genius there on the field. So. so growing up, though, you did more basketball than soccer, but you enjoyed soccer more? So I played soccer up in the eighth grade, and then I picked up a basketball. Okay. And from then on, it was only basketball. I mean, so, you're a tall guy, yeah. so that makes sense. Yeah, so um, varsity since then, and then, um, you know, I played center, but... If you think about it, if I go to the next level, I'll be a point guard and they'd have that kill set. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, what one person had the biggest impact on your career when you think about Lehman, Buckeye, you know, Sanchez, Sanchez, whatever? What one person made an impact? 
it's no one at the corporate level. It was actually my mother. Um, you know, think about she wasn't formally educated. She always had this will and drive to figure it out. You know, no formal education. Didn't speak English when she came to the United States. She learned English. She learned Spanish by watching telenovelas on the uh, TV in New York. She just figured it out. And um, that kind of mentality and just growing up with it just um, kind of led me to the experience where I am today. Is like, you know, I have confidence in myself. I might know the answer, but I'll figure it out. And things will work out. You know? And so you told me a good story, which I thought was pretty pretty good, about uh, tell me uh, her reaction when you told her you were going to be an investment yeah, banker. Yeah, so, you know, again, you know, parents didn't grow up in the United States, didn't know what investment banking was. I barely knew what investment banking was. I told her, Mom, I'm going to be an investment banker. She paused and said, wait, why do you want to do that? I see those tellers in the bank every day when I make deposits. You, you spent four years of school to go do that? Go be a doctor, be a lawyer, go be something more respectable. And um, you know, I spent a moment, it's not like that. And uh, after a year or two in the industry, she realized, oh, I think I like this investment banking now. <laughs> right. so, She's like, you're yeah. doing pretty well for yourself. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, good. So, okay, what's the most interesting or random personal fact about you? I would say I've been to about 90 countries in my oh, life wow. so far. And before I pass away, I hope to visit every single country. And if I don't, I hope my kids will finish it for me. So what is even the count if you're talking total number count? That's countries? a good question because uh, there's the United Nations count yeah. and there's like, well, is Taiwan a country? Yeah. What about Tibet? You know, do you consider those countries or not? And so I've been to Tibet, I've been to Taiwan. So uh, it's roughly, give or take, 230. So I've been okay. about a third of the world. Wow, yeah. 90 of 230. Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. So that it's, is... um, that, that's my ultimate goal. Um, you know, I've... So a lot of this country I've been to myself because I was just traveling around. I've met a lot of friends. And, Let's um, hope some of those you don't have to go to when they're in the middle of a war-torn that's, situation. That's a big challenge <laughs> right now. Yeah, that's one to avoid. So Okay. Uh, if you could pick the career for your kids, uh, what would it be and why? I don't know if I would choose a particular career, but I would tell them, make sure you're happy. But on the flip side, make sure you understand where you get into. You know, I'm not going to be there forever supporting you. And so there's a balance. So if you want to go... Be an artist, great. Just make sure that you're okay with that lifestyle, and and if you have struggle for a while, you're okay with that. Because I I don't want to be there holding your hand the rest of your life. I want you to be independent and happy. And uh, there's a balance, right? You know, if you're working a job that you make a lot of money, but you're miserable, I don't want that for you either. So just have that balance in life. Um, I totally understand that. Um, so okay, you have four days off. Uh, just you and your wife. The kids are staying with the in-laws. Um, where are you guys going? What are you doing? How yeah. do you spend those four days? If it's only four days, uh, probably New York City. Um, that's actually where I proposed to my wife. Um, believe it or not, I left New York May 1st, 2008. My name was on the buzzer in my building, unit number four. As of last year, the last time I went to New York, my name is still on the buzzer there. <laughs> so every time I go back, I have to. it's, a, it's like a, a trip to go make sure my name is still on the buzzer. And my wife actually thought I owned the building for several years because why would my name still be on the buzzer that after 10 years? That is shocking. And so, uh, do you ring it just to see who answers? I don't ring it, but you know, I, it's on the second floor. I can, you know, if they have the windows up, I can kind of peek in. Um, another neighbor is in East Village. Uh, I, I proposed right across the street from her. And um, every time we visit it, I made this routine about going to visit it and have a coffee and scone. And so when I actually proposed, she had no idea what was happening because that was a normal routine. Yeah, coffee, yeah. scone, go visit the apartment, see my name still on the door. And so I uh, kind of surprised her that way. So when's the last time you went there? I went there uh, less than a year ago, about 11 and months ago. And it was ago. still there? It was still there. Okay, and, uh, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm next to go. time I go there, I need to check yeah, it out. Yeah, we have plans to maybe go this summer, and so we'll verify there. It'll be a sad day when it's not there. Yeah, you're going to have to pour some out. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so uh, you know, either you're on death row or you're about to pass away. What's your last meal? 
um, a Greek style lamb with um, a rice pilaf. Um, I don't get it very often because that style is um, it's hard to make here in the U.S. and it's really from Crete. Um, but it's the best lamb I've ever had. And believe it or not, the only ingredient they put on it is sea salt. Wow. Yeah. And so. Um, so on the way, the method. Of so yeah, this um, you know you talk about organic meats or they're. they're they probably don't even have the word for organic in Greece because everything there is just kind of from mountains and you know, <laughs> grass-fed, whatever you want to call it. So. And so, you know, I know it may be tough, but it, uh, if you had to pick the best Greek restaurant, authentic or whatever, if you, you know, what's in yeah. Houston, what is it? I would say it's it's kind of a little bit of fusion, um, but Helen's does a good job. It's higher oh. end. It's, uh, in Rice Village? In Rice Village. It's higher end. It's a little bit of fusion. Um so it, they do a good job, though. They have a lot of good Greek wines. Um, I've only been to Uzu Bay in kind of the River Oaks district yeah, yeah. once for lunch, and it seemed pretty good, but it also seemed higher end. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we just eat Greek at home. Yeah. So. Okay, uh, describe uh, you know your perfect start to the day. What's your routine? What, what are you doing yeah. in the morning to get you going? I wake up, I uh, try to spend some time with the kids, but... You know, Kenley, I'm, I'm first thing I do is um, once I get my eyes open is I, I check the emails, make sure nothing's blown up. Uh, once I'm okay with there, you know, I try to spend a little time with the kids. Um, I make sure to drive my son to school in the morning to have that extra time with him. Um, my youngest son's not quite there yet, but he'll be there. I'll drop him off as well. And then I'll get the office and then I catch up with the team, you know, um, what, what's on everybody's agenda, check out where we can add value, what, what, you know, what's on the plate. And what I really enjoy about it is every day is a little different, you know, it's not the same thing every day. So what's uh what's the last book you read? Or are you a book reader? Are you more listening podcast? You know, what's what? I, you know that's one thing I wish I would do more is read books. Uh, I actually read a lot of articles, um, online paper. Um, but actually, the last book I read was I attended Adam Vent here I guess a month or two ago where um, David Ramsey Wood was there and um, he was selling his books. So I picked up a copy and that's the last book I read. So um, good, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, good stories in there. You know, kind of reflects his personality. So yeah, yeah. no, he's a, he's a good dude. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, so name an event, and this could be in your childhood or professional, but I don't know. I think every human has one or two things that they look back and like, man, that was kind of a life change. Was there anything yeah. that molded you or kind of shaped? Yeah, a little bit of a tearjerker. Um, so forgive me if I tear up a little bit, but um, you know, I was studying abroad in Singapore. My mother was uh, was going through a chemo for uh, leukemia. And so at that point, she started closing down restaurants. Um, she didn't actually tell me she had leukemia until I was actually there because she didn't know. When she's still in Houston. Still in Houston, yes. And, um, you know, I you know, I had worked. I had gotten scholarships. I had dinner trip shirts in the summer. So I saved money. But at some point, money was getting tight at the end of the semester. And I called home and I told mom, I said, you know, mom, do you have, a, I don't know, maybe $1,000, whatever it was, to give me to kind of make it through the rest of the semester? And there was a pause there. And she started crying. And she said, you know, I've uh, all these years I've raised my, my brother's kids. I've given to the church. I founded a church. I've given all this money to here. And here I am with my my son. And I can't give $1,000. And so, um, you know, she gave me whatever I can. I made it last. I got a tax refund from the from the um, IRS. That year made a big difference. And um, But from that point on, I, I made a promise to myself that I would never ask my mom for a dollar again. Wow, yeah. Okay. And so um, from that point, I made sure, you know, kept working hard, make sure that if anything, I would give her money and not the other way around. So that that was, um, you know, you can say I was a little conservative on like, you know, hedging and uh, not hedging of leverage and all that. It's because um, I don't want to be in a position where like I have to ask, you know, anyone for money. Do you think it. that because it sounds like throughout your career, no matter what, you've always, whether you're at Lehman or you had your exit, you've been very 
uh, thrifty in your, in yeah, your spending? I mean, I, Is that kind of started from Yeah, that? I mean, I definitely enjoyed life, but I made a cognizant to always have, um, if you will, the F you money. Because yeah, yeah. Um, if I, my, my body's not there, my mind's not there, I don't want to have to be... I don't have to be in a place because I have to have the paycheck. Yeah. And so um, I want to have financial uh, flexibility, the financial freedom. And so that was really molding is, um, this hear my mom cry. And you don't hear cry that often. And so it was, um, I just made my promise myself to never be to ever have to ask money again. So, and at that time, did you, 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 you didn't know yet about the kid? You found out when uh, you came home or you knew it? Uh, she, didn't, she didn't tell me until after I was there because she didn't want me to cancel the trip. Yeah. And so probably a month or two out there, you know, actually my sister made her tell me. And then obviously, you know, medical bills are piling up. She can't be at the restaurants as much because she's sick. Business starts falling off, so it kind of compounds on itself. So, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a tough time. So, she sounds know. like she's a pretty strong, strong uh, female role model. Yeah, like I said, as, um, you know, my father's not Greek. He's part German, part Spaniard, but I was only raised Greek because I have a strong Greek mother, and um, she kind of drove the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, that's, that's impressive, and I'm sure, you know, as a young man, that's a, a good role model to have. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so what is one thing, you know, you would tell 22-year-old Polly, um, or maybe others coming out of college? I mean, you know, you've had a lot of success. Uh, you know, what would you reiterate to others to, to kind of put them on the same, same path? Yeah, it's kind of, um, like I mentioned before, listen to yourself. And um, if you have the confidence to do something different, particularly when you're young, take the opportunity. You know, the world's not going to end if you fail. Learn from those failures. Um, you know, you know, maybe everyone else has the risk tolerance, but still, you know, that's the time to explore and figure out things yourself. Um, you know, it's more difficult to take that risk when you have wife and kids. You know, the risk tolerance changes. And, you know, so explore, you know. And give it a go. If you feel like you can do it, give it a go. Why not? You know, what's what's going to happen? You learn from opportunity. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And no, what I like about your story is you have a lot of points where you kind of what they always say is you can't quit the job you have until you have the next job. But your mentality was, you know, I'm done. Something will come up. Yeah. And, and, uh, and mean, it's not a it's not an ego thing. It's like you know, I I just feel like myself like I'll figure it out. I've I've gotten comfortable with the unknown, and something will work out. It might be perfect right away, but it'll lead to something else that may be more perfect. Um, so, you know, what, what TV shows or, you know, do you and your wife uh, have binge any shows yeah. these days? Do you have anything you uh, like to watch? Yeah, right now is uh, we're big on Peaky Blinders. Okay, that's uh, solid. I love yeah, that Yeah, I just, I love the era. I love the dress. I love the gangsters in there. Um, you know, we our good friend in New York recommended it to us. And uh, once we started it, you know, it's, it's great because it's, uh, you know, they're hour long, but it's only like six or seven episodes yes. per season. And really good, good, good writing. Um, this you know it captures our imagination so yeah no yeah. i love that one um yeah. i recently finished after a recommendation of our last podcast don't <laughs> f with cats okay i recommend not watching that before you go to bed because it's pretty creepy super creepy so very good but yeah. man uh, it would get to you um so you know what does retirement look like for you i mean you kind of feel like you touched on a little bit but yeah. i mean are you the type of person Okay, I got my mind. By the time I hit fifty-five, I want to have X amount in the bank, and I'm going to do whatever I want, whether that's you know go live overseas in in, in Greece, or you know what, I'm always going to be involved doing something. What, what do you have it that thought plan? Yeah, I mean, um, ideally, long term, I want to spend um, call it six months in Greece, six months in the U.S. That's not be Texas, maybe New York, wherever it is. But um, you know. I don't want to be involved in maybe the day-to-day -day operation of the hostel, but be plugged in enough and kind of be more of an investor from there. And then, um, honestly, spend a lot of time with my family and um, hopefully try to see every country in the world by then. And what's uh, I mean, what's your idea of? Uh, do 
you have a you know by the time I'm 60 or 55 when do you when do you want to start doing that 50 50 um we'll see how well Fortuna 2-3 goes and then we'll go from there so, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I like it uh okay um so you, you seem like you'd be good at a lot of jobs but what job would you be terrible at you know I thought about this um in the past before um I could probably do for a day but like a customer help hotline you know um you know there's only so many complaints i can take and you know my patient will wear out pretty thin i'm generally a pretty patient person but it's like uh, i feel like customer help hotlines are just more about complaining about something and um i'm more about like hey let's fix the problem not the not the blame and so um i don't think i'll last too long in type that environment or some of the way i do the exact same thing every day um need some little more different a little more variety so Okay, so you seem pretty easygoing, and I obviously have you know, I've seen you outside of the office and in other events. But uh, you know, what does piss Polly off? Because I, I can't, you know, yeah. you seem like you're always it's pr- a, pretty you know, happy. That's a, that's a good good point. I don't get all pissed off very easily. Actually, my wife's never actually seen me pissed off. I do get annoyed on things, and I'll say what really annoys me is um, if someone tells me they're going to do something and they don't do it, you know. You can, I'm very patient. It may, even if it takes a long time, just tell me you're going to do it and, and follow up through. But if you tell me you're going to do it and you don't do it, then I have to do it, that really pisses me off. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, first of all, just to be honest with me, if, if you don't have the skill set, you don't want to do it, just tell me ahead of time. Just just don't tell me you're going to do it and then I do it. No, I, yeah. I, 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 I feel yeah. you there. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, what's your, uh, what's your worst bad habit? Stress eating. Stress eating. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I got to hear more on this. Yeah. So, so what does stress eating look like to you? Well, you know, my wife actually, probably last week or two, she caught me about it and she points it out because she knows me well by now. So I'll have dinner and then, you know, I'll play with the kids, put them down. And then somehow I find my way to the pantry or the refrigerator. And I'm not a big sweets guy. So I'm more of a savory guy. But if I'm start looking for something sweet, I'm stress eating. You know, <laughs> I'm looking for chocolate, uh, you know, looking for those like, um, Yogurt covered pretzels, whatever ice cream you got in there, and uh, I convinced myself I'm just gonna have a little bit, and before you know it, you know I'm stress eating, and then um, my, fa- my pants feel a little bit tighter, and then uh, eventually I'm not as stressed. I'm like, all right, let me go back to boxing or something else <laughs> to kind of shave off those pounds. So if I see you at an event and you're centered around the dessert bar, then I know something something's exactly up. right. Because I'm not, not you know, whole, whole side of my family, we're not very big on sweets. We're more actually fruit people. And if you see me looking at chocolate or some other stuff, so I'm probably stressing out. So <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, so um, you know this has been great. I really appreciate you taking your time. You know who who should we have next? Yeah, just because I think he has an interesting story, and you know might might, might not be the traditional path as well. I actually thought of a Vignesh Pradhaturi. Uh, you know, he came from India, didn't know anything about oil and gas, but said I'm going to be in the oil and gas business, and I've come co- come close with him. Uh, become close with him the last few years, and um, he has, I think he has interesting stories. So yeah, and that guy is an amazing networker. Yeah, he's, always, like, he's all over uh, the place. About, yeah. it's, it's surprising that people don't know him, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, no, he's one of the first guys I met when we moved here. Yeah, I agree. That'd be a good one. I'll have to uh, reach out to him. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. This has uh, been, been a pleasure, and uh, thanks again. Thank you. Oh.